0: Oh, it's great to, uh, great to see you tonight, and uh, if um, we can just go to the next slide, you can see uh, for, uh, for the outline, um, you can write one in uh, if, that's, uh, if that's helpful for you. So two parts, Jeremiah's purchase and Jeremiah's prayer, and you can see, look, very cleverly, they both start with a P. There you go, it took me a long time to uh, write that out. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 32 tonight, and um, why don't we ask for God's help as we do that together. Uh, Heavenly Father, again we thank you that we can meet together as your people and we thank you that you are a God that speaks to us and we pray now as we come to your word that you might shape and change us and help us to be more like your son, the Lord Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I know as I said we're going to be uh, looking at chapter 32, Uh, it's going to be our sort of main focus for tonight, Uh, but it means we won't have time to look at chapter 33 Uh, But I just wanted to really kind of encourage you to read it. Chapter 33 is a a wonderful chapter. Uh, It shows us the sort of the great uh, way that the Bible fits together, how the promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, how they come together with the promises of David and how they all kind of look forward to the coming of Jesus. Uh, So It's a great chapter. Uh, We're not going to look at it, but uh, I'd love for you to go home and uh, and read chapter 33. Uh, But instead, we're going to look at uh, chapter 32. And as we've seen already in the book of Jeremiah, often the chapters begin with a statement of context, uh, telling us what's going on uh, in the world at this time, Um, particularly in chapter 32. It's really important to see this so we can understand the significance of the events. So with that in mind, come with me to the beginning then, chapter 32, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 for us there. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was imprisoned in the guards' courtyard in the palace of the king of Judah. So you can see we've given quite a lot of information, but it's also a pretty clear picture. Zedekiah is the king on the throne. If you've been following on, remembering the names of the different kings, you would know, I hope, that this is after the exile, after the time that a group of God's people have been taken from Jerusalem, uh, taken to live in the city of Babylon. Right? This was part of God's judgment against his people. Now when this happened, the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans as they're called in this chapter as well, uh, they installed Zedekiah on the throne. Uh, so they were the ones who put Zedekiah there. But this is the tenth year of him being the king of uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, and by this time, he's got a bit fed up of the uh, Babylonian overlords, and so he's rebelled against them. And said he's no longer going to send tribute to them, which is why the army of the Babylonians has come to lay siege to the city. So they've come to sort out Zedekiah and this city of rebellion. And we have to understand that this is a big thing, right, for the city. What it means to be under siege is the, the army, the Babylonians have surrounded the city. They kind of cut off all supplies to the city until famine, disease and despair takes hold of those uh, in the city. So it's a pretty desperate time for the city, but it's also a pretty desperate time for Jeremiah. right? Remember Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord? Well, we see here that he has been imprisoned in the guard's courtyard. And why is that? Well, we learn in verses 3 to 5, it's because of what he's been saying, right? What's Jeremiah been saying? Well, look there, verse 3, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to hand this city over to Babylon's king and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape from the Chaldeans. Indeed, he will certainly be handed over to Babylon's king. So Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord, has been saying these things, right? Right? And you can kind of understand why Zedekiah doesn't really want to hear it. Right? He doesn't want to hear that the city will fall. doesn't want to hear that he will be handed over to the Babylonians. But rather than sort of trying to change his ways, what does the king do? Well, he tries to shut Jeremiah up by imprisoning him, imprisoning him uh, in the courtyard of the guards. And so as the chapter begins, we see, well, the city of Jerusalem, it's under siege By this foreign nation, Jeremiah is in prison because he's been proclaiming the word of the Lord, which is why it's so strange of what happens next. Right? When we read before, you see what happens next is that Jeremiah buys a piece of land in Anathoth. Right now you meant to think that's weird. Right? You meant to think this is really strange. Right? Jeremiah is in prison, he's in a city under siege. Why would he want to buy a piece of land? in Anathoth. Right? This is a very strange thing to happen. Now, we don't really know exactly where Anathoth is. It was a pretty small place, uh, probably not too far from Jerusalem. So the land isn't in the city itself, but in kind of one of the surrounding towns. But it was very much tied to the fate of the city. right? If the city stood, then, well, the land was of some value. But if the city fell, then this land would be worthless. right? So it's a pretty strange thing for jeremiah to buy the field but of course that's exactly what happens his cousin hanamel comes to him comes to visit him in prison you might think he'd be pretty glad but then he hears this request right please buy this field in the land of anathoth and that's what happens right verse uh, verse nine jeremiah buys the land and we are told he weighs out the money 17 shekels was the purchase price uh, we're told of all the documentation, the scrolls that were written and how they were given to Barak and how this was done before all these people. So what we see in the chapter is this, this very strange event right, of Jeremiah buying a field. And so the question is, well, why is it written for us? Right? Why has God given us this in the book of Jeremiah But we don't need to look very far to uh, come to the answer because it's actually before us in the passage. And you may have seen this uh, as we read through. The first thing we see is that these events confirm that Jeremiah is a true prophet of the Lord. But to understand this, we've got to go back to the beginning of the chapter, to verse 3. So look at me there at verse 3. And you can see Zedekiah is asking a question. So verse 3, Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned Jeremiah, saying... Why are you prophesying these things? So the king is saying to Jeremiah, why are you saying the city will fall? Why are you saying the king will be handed over to the Babylonians? And so when Jeremiah speaks in verse 6, he's answering the question, right? This is why I am saying these things. But it's a bit of a strange response because now Jeremiah brings another word from the Lord, right? Verse 6, Jeremiah replies... The word of the Lord came to me, watch, Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shalem, is coming to say to you, buy my field in Anathoth for yourself, for you own the right of redemption to buy it. So in answer to the question, why is Jeremiah prophesying these things? Well, Jeremiah says, well, here's another word of the Lord. My cousin will come in this very strange event and ask me to buy a land. But what we see is, lo and behold, that is exactly what happens Right, Verse 8, the cousin Hanamel comes, notice, as the Lord had said, and urges Jeremiah, please buy my field in Anathoth. And then you see at the end of verse 8, then I knew this was the word of the Lord. Now why this is important is it confirms that Jeremiah is a true prophet of the Lord. Right? See, back in Deuteronomy, God had given his people the test. How do you know if someone is a true prophet of the Lord? The test was pretty simple. If they say this will happen and it happens, right? well, that's a pretty good sign that they're a prophet from the Lord. But if they say this will happen and it doesn't happen, well, then you know they're not a prophet. Right? So coming back to Jeremiah, he said, this really strange thing will happen. My cousin Hanumel will come and ask me to buy the land. And lo and behold, that's what happens, right? So it confirms that Jeremiah is a true prophet. But the implication for the king is that the word that Jeremiah has previously spoken, words that Zedekiah knew, he's the one that tells us about them in verses 3 to 5. Well, he should know that those things will come to pass. The king must know that the city will fall to the Chaldeans. The king must know that he will be handed over to the army. And of course, that's exactly what we see played out in Jeremiah 39, in the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So the next year, well, it happens according to the word of the Lord. The city falls to the Babylonians and the king faces the consequences for his rebellion. And so all this shows that Jeremiah is a true prophet of the Lord. But there is another reason this event is recorded for us. Uh, And we see that in verses 13 to 15. Uh, We read it before. Let me read it again. Look there in verse 13. I instructed Barak in the sight of those watching, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says. Take these scrolls, this purchase agreement with a sealed copy and this open copy, and put them in an earthen storage jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So what we see is this events of the chapter, Jeremiah buying this random piece of land, well it's meant to be a sign or a picture of God's future that again, buy, sorry, property will be bought and sold in this place. Right? This is a promise of God, these things will happen. Which it does seem like a bit of a strange thing to promise, right? To promise that property will be bought and sold in this place until we see it's part of this bigger picture of God's promise to restore His people. Because the way things work normally is you don't buy property in a time of war, right? This is the exception that proves the rule. No, when do you buy and sell houses, vineyards and fields? will in a time of peace a time of security a time of safety and so the purchase of the land here we see is meant to be a sign pointing to this future to this promise of god that he will restore the city and it will get sorry will be again a place of safety and security and we know well jeremiah is a true prophet of the lord the promise that he makes here it will happen. We know that these things will come to pass. And of course, for us as Christians, well, we know how they were fulfilled. Right? Not long after Jeremiah said these words, well, God brought the exiles back from Babylon, back to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they resettled the place and there was a time of relative peace and safety. Right? A time when fields and vineyards and land was bought and sold in that place. But one of the things we see in the Old Testament is while the people were returned to the city of Jerusalem, it, it was a disappointment. The peace didn't last for God's people. When they built the temple, well, the people who had seen the original one broke down in tears. Right? So disappointing was the return to Jerusalem. And so for God's people, well, they were looking forward, looking forward to the coming of God's promised king. And of course, we know that happens in the Lord Jesus, right? When Jesus came, well, every promise of our God finds their yes in him, in the events of the gospel, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, the pouring out of God's spirit, right? Last week we saw Jesus' blood spilled on the cross. Well, that establishes the new covenant that Jeremiah had promised. We see that every promise of our God finds its yes in Jesus. And so the promise here that people will buy and sell land—I mean, it does sound like a very kind of physical thing, right, tied to the city of Jerusalem. But what we see as we come to the New Testament is it's picked up to that picture of a new Jerusalem. In the Book of Revelation, we see we see this wonderful picture that God will bring about this new city in the new heavens and the new earth, and it will be a place of of peace of safety, of security. It will be a place where God's people will live with him forever. And so for us as Christians, as we hear these promises in the Old Testament, we should never stop to be thankful. We should always be thankful that we know that all these promises find their yes in Jesus. And we should be thankful that we know of that great news. But of course, for us as Christians, we also look forward to the future. We look forward to that that new Jerusalem and we know that these promises are trustworthy and true because they come through a true prophet of the Lord. But one of the things that's really interesting about this chapter in in, in chapter 32 is we see this land purchased by Jeremiah seems to go fairly smoothly. But then in the rest of the chapter it seems that that, that Jeremiah really kind of struggles with what has happened. He thinks about his 17 shekels that he's handed over and he begins to question what what was the point of that right what was the point of these things and we'll see that played out in a moment in the chapter but in a strange sort of way i think this is meant to be an encouragement for us right so if we look back to the the great prophet jeremiah a man of great faithfulness but yet as we look to jeremiah we see that he was a man who struggle to trust in the word of God that came to him. And I think that's meant to be an encouragement to us. Because there are times where we as Christians struggle to trust in our God. And there shouldn't be a surprise to us. See, because this is our place as Christians. Right, as Christians we know what God has promised to us, and yet we struggle to trust him As we live in this world, we struggle to hold firm to God's word, to us. So if we pick a really obvious example, something that people are talking about, well, it's the debate around marriage, right? Because in the end, for us as Christians, well, we need to hold fast to the teaching of the scriptures. We are committed to God's plan for marriage because that's what comes to us in the word of God. And yet the reality is, is, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to stand firm on the truth of God's word in the face of opposition. But we shouldn't be surprised because this is, this is the reality. Right? This is what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. But while it's easy to kind of point to the really big thing that people are talking about, we shouldn't, let this, we shouldn't sort of forget that this is a decision we make in everyday life as well. So God's word comes to us, is clear. We are citizens of heaven. God's word is clear. This is not our home. In fact, we look forward to a new city, a new Jerusalem. And yet the reality is, is we find that hard, don't we? Don't we find it hard to trust that this is not everything? That our home is in that new city. And we find it hard because we live in a world that, that tempts us. And says, live for the now. See, what we see in our everyday life, well, it's a challenge. A challenge for us to keep trusting the Word of God as it comes to us. Right? We find it hard to trust that Jesus is the only way to know God. And so we find it hard to keep proclaiming Jesus. We find it hard to trust that God is working for our ultimate good. That whatever comes to pass, He is working to shape us and transform us to be more like his son, the Lord Jesus, that he is holding us until that day as we look forward to the new Jerusalem. And so we find it hard to trust him in the ups and downs of life. And so, as we come across this experience, as we struggle to trust God, well, let's come back to Jeremiah and to see how he responds And what we'll see is that, well, he comes before God in prayer. Look there in verse 16. Verse 16, After I had given the purchase agreement to Barak, son of Nerariah, I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. All right, so begins this great prayer that we see uh, recorded for us. As Jeremiah looks back to creation, to the fact that God made the heavens and the earth. And he's reminded that, that God is powerful, that God is sovereign. He's reminded that nothing is too difficult for God. He looks back to creation, but he, but he also looks back to the events of the Exodus. Look there, verse 21. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders with a strong hand and an outstretched arm with great terror. He looks back to the conquest recorded to us in the the book of Joshua. Verse 22, you gave them this land you swore to give to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. He looks back to the way that God had judged his people for their rebellion. Verse 23, the people entered and possessed the land But they did not obey your voice or live according to your instructions. They failed to perform all you commanded them to do. And so you have brought all this disaster on them. And then Jeremiah turns to his present experience. Remember, he, he prays this while in prison in a city under siege. Verse 24, look, siege ramps have come against this city to capture it. And the city, as a result of the sword, famine and plague, Has been handed over to the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you have spoken has happened. Look, you can see it. And so you can see for Jeremiah as he, well, as he's rotting away in prison in a city under siege, he's reminded of all that God has done, that nothing is too difficult for him. But then we see this twist. This twist in his prayer. Look there, verse 25. Having prayed all these things, he says, verse 25, Yet you, Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field with silver and call in witnesses, even though the city has been handed over to the Chaldeans. You can see this kind of question that Jeremiah raises. What was the point of buying that land? It's not just the kind of foolishness of, buying land in the middle of a siege but it's the foolishness of buying land in a city under siege when you know that the city will fall when you know that the chaldeans the babylonians will come into the city and that the land that he purchased is 17 shekels well the question is what was the point of that what was the point of buying the land Well, let's have a look at how the Lord responds. Look there, verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Look, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Now, we ask the question, is anything too difficult? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? The answer is no. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And why is that? Well, because he is the God of all flesh. He is the God who rules and reigns over all. But what's interesting as the Lord responds is that he basically just reaffirms everything he's already said to Jeremiah. So for example verse 28, therefore this is what the Lord says, I'm about to hand this city over to the Chaldeans, to Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar and he will capture it. But of course this is something Jeremiah already knows. And so as Jeremiah's struggling with this purchase of the land, he asks what's What's the point of that well the response that comes is will know that i am god and i will do as i have promised the city will fall to the chaldeans we see a similar kind of thing in verse 37 so the lord responds i'm about to gather my people from all the lands where i've banished them and i will return them to this place and make them live in safety But again, Jeremiah already knows of this promise by God to restore his people. And so as he struggles with this purchase of the land, well, the response comes, Jeremiah, know that I am the Lord and I will do as I have promised. Again, we see the same thing in verse 40 with the new covenant. Look there, verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. And I will put fear of me in their hearts so they will never again turn away from me. It's a reminder of what we looked at last week, that promise of a new covenant where God will write his instruction on their hearts. Here in verse 40, a similar kind of idea this time, an everlasting covenant with God's people. And you can notice again that God promises to work in the hearts of his people. Here it says, I will put fear of me in their hearts. God says he will work in the hearts of his people so that they might see he is the Lord of all flesh and so that they might respond rightly. They might fear him and know that he is the one who rules and reigns. But again, this is something that Jeremiah already knows as he struggles to make sense of this land purchase. Well, the response of the Lord comes. Jeremiah, know that I am the Lord and know that I will do as I have promised. And so finally there in the Lord's response, he comes specifically to the question of the land. Look there, verse 43. The Lord responds, Fields will be bought in this land about which you are saying it's a desolation without man or beast that has been handed over to the Chaldeans. Fields will be purchased with silver. The transaction will be written on a scroll and sealed. The witnesses will be called in on the land of Benjamin." You can see the response, Jeremiah, know that I am the Lord, and I will do as I have promised. I will bring about the things that I have promised. And so the implication for Jeremiah is pretty clear, isn't it? Know that God is God, and trust that his word will come to pass. But notice the, the question Jeremiah has, what was the point of buying the land in I mean, in some sense, it's not really answered in the passage. But actually, for us living after this time, we see that for Jeremiah's land that he purchased, there was no earthly point. Right? It's not like this land he purchased in Anathoth. You know, Jeremiah came back and and there'd been this, you know, this was the new property hotspot or something. You, know, you had developers arguing, you know, how much money could they pay? And, you know, the 17 shekels that uh, Jeremiah paid, well, it came back, you know, as 600 shekels or something like that. Right? That is not what happened. There was no earthly point in Jeremiah buying that land. It was a complete waste of money. The city did fall, as we know. And in fact, Jeremiah himself, he was taken to Egypt, he had no descendants. And so what became of that field? From an earthly point of view, it was a waste. And yet you can just, I think, imagine from the perspective of eternity. As Jeremiah looks back to this purchase of the land, the 17 shekels spent on that day. And as he sees it as this wonderful sign for God's people, a sign that God will do as he promised this wonderful picture of a hope, a hope that we too look forward to, the hope of a new Jerusalem, that we look forward to the day that God will gather his people, that he will gather us with him and that we will live in peace and safety and security. We see the purchase of that land that day is a sign for us, a sign of our future, what we look forward to. And so you can just imagine Jeremiah looking back from the perspective of all eternity and saying, that was the best 17 shekels I've ever spent. To give that picture of hope to God's people. Well, having looked at the situation for Jeremiah, the question remains, how does this chapter apply to us as Christians? As we read this, how can it encourage us? And as we come to the Old Testament, as we try and make sense of it as Christians, one of the really important questions we need to ask is, well, what is the same for us and what is different? And it's important that we, well, think about what was the context for Jeremiah and what is the context for ourselves? What is the same and what is different? And one thing that is very different, worth saying, is that Jeremiah was a prophet. That is different to us. So Jeremiah, as a prophet, has this direct word that comes to him. You know, your cousin will come. He has this direct word by this random field in the city of Anathoth. And as he prays, he has this direct response from God. But that is not our expectation as Christians. No, there is no promise that God will speak directly to us. It's important that we keep in mind the book of Hebrews. Look, at the verse coming out we read before. So long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways, right? Like through the prophet Jeremiah. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we see that for Jeremiah, well, God has speak sorry, God speaks to him directly. But for us as Christians, for us who live in the last days, that's our time, well, we know that God has spoken to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus. That for us as Christians we have everything we need to know in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes when you look at, at Hebrews, there's, there's a part of you that feels a little bit disappointed. I don't know if this is the, the same for you, and you think, Oh, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to, to be a little bit more like Jeremiah? Right? Maybe not to share his life, right, because his life was, was pretty rough, right? But wouldn't it be nice to have a, a direct word from God? To have that that sense of assurance, to feel special, to feel loved, that God would bring this direct word to us. Sometimes I think we can feel a little bit disappointed that that is not the expectation of the Christian life. But hopefully you can see that that is the wrong way to look at it. Now for us in these last days... We are in the time of great privilege because God has spoken to us now in his son, the Lord Jesus. Right? Think of Jeremiah. He looks back to creation, the exodus, all those things. But for us as Christians in these last days, we know more than Jeremiah because we know of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We know of his life, we know of his death, we know of his resurrection, we know the the coming of God's Spirit, all the promises that come to us in the New Testament. See, for us as Christians, we have even more confidence in the Word of God to us. We know that it is trustworthy and true. And so we look to the resurrection, that's where we find our assurance. As we see Jesus raised from dead on the third day, We look back to the cross and we see that wonderful truth that God loves us, that he pours out his love for us on the cross. See, for us as Christians living in these last days, we know more than the prophet Jeremiah. We know that the word of God to us is trustworthy and true. And so what do we do when we find the Christian life hard? What do we do when we find it hard to trust God's word to us? Well, in many ways, the answer is simple, isn't it? We look back to what God has done. And we must know that God is God and he will do as he has promised. To know that God is God and he will do as he has promised. But I think Jeremiah gives us a good example. See, what does Jeremiah do? Well, he comes before the Lord in prayer. But do you notice the shape of his prayer, how God-centered it is? Again, a great encouragement for us as we find the Christian life hard. To pray that God would be at work in our hearts. That he would transform us, that we might fear him. That we might see that he is the God of all flesh. that, That he is the sovereign one who rules and reigns. He is the God for whom nothing is too difficult. To pray that God would work in our heart that we might know that truth. But that he would also work in our heart to see that he is also our father. A father who loves us. Who sent Jesus to die in our place. It can be hard for us to trust the word of God. But as we come across these struggles in our life, let us look back to the way God has spoken to us in his son. And let us say that God is God and he will do as he has promised. How about I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. That long ago you spoke to us through your prophets, people like Jeremiah, But we thank you and praise you that in these last days you have spoken to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, may we be confident in you as we see all that Jesus has done. May we look back to the cross and know that you love us. May we look back to the resurrection and see that you have conquered death. Father, you know the ways that we find it hard to trust you the times when we face our world and father in those times may you shape our heart may we be a people who love to hear your words but more than that may we be a people who seek to obey it may we be a people who trust and depend may we be a people who know that you are god that you rule and reign and that you have shown your great love for us in the cross